0: Hello, welcome to Embodied Vision, the podcast about eyesight and the role it plays in our holistic health and well-being. So I have with me today, uh, Nina Hutchings. Uh, I first met Nina at a conference in 1997. I don't know if you remember Nina. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, When I was first encountering the natural vision world, Uh I was very overwhelmed by it all. Mm. Um, And I remember uh, meeting uh, Nina Hutchings and your colleague Brigitte, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. and I was I was with my teacher uh, Aileen Whiteford uh, and um, Margaret Montgomery was there as well and anyway we could list lots of uh lots of teachers who were there but I do remember meeting you there that was at the
1: lodge what is it what was it called? it was in Karlsruhe oh yeah Germany okay yes uh,
0: yes yes yes
1: yes it. yes okay Yeah, Wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah, so,
0: so, and we have met um, kind of intermittently over the decades at conferences, and Mm. I remember doing a workshop with you at the British Natural Eyesight Conference in London. On movement. Yes, exactly, exactly, on movement, and that um, was my first... Uh, Kind of glimpse into your teaching, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Mm. So it's it's very nice to to have you here today for us to just chat a bit more about your work. Uh, um, And that's partly since I first met you, I have uh, I trained as well in uh, in doing the natural eyesight work. Um, Were you were
1: you uh, uh, in training at the time?
0: No, I was, I, at the time I was, I'd started working with my own vision okay. Yeah. and I was a research, a research right. student. I was doing a degree, a research degree into that. holistic vision work. That's right. I so I was more that. on the, more on the academic side of it then. Yeah. And then I've since moved more into the practical mm-hmm, 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 and yeah. actually teaching and, and yeah so how how did you get into the work Nina what I um,
1: well through my own vision which I think is what happens to most of us is that our vision kind of deteriorates or changes and we think oh my god you know what am I going to do about this and I had um, heard about um, natural vision improvement through uh documents that a friend had given to me years before um and so when i began to have presbyopia
0: i uh, can can you there might be people listening that that okay, word yes. doesn't
1: mean anything <laughs> God, for no, yes, <laughs> old age sight or when our arms are too short to read and reading becomes difficult and that happened after um uh, the birth of my son about two years afterwards i noticed that i couldn't read so i couldn't accommodate near it was difficult i was getting tired so i went to an ophthalmologist who said oh well you've got you know the usual what presbyopia uh you'll need glasses of course and so i had forgotten about all this, you know, the natural vision improvement. Um, so I went and looked for glasses. But I couldn't I couldn't decide. It was in- interesting. I just was walking around thinking, I can't possibly wear these. Um, and I said, well, I'll come back another day. And then, you know, the light bulb goes on. And oh, yes, I remember those papers. Anyway, so I eventually um, looked for a teacher once once I'd read about the Bates method and got back into my papers and said well this is interesting because I'd practiced beforehand and I uh, eventually contacted Brigitte Cabardias who's um, as I live in France and who's about an hour away from me and I worked with her for two years and sorted out my Old age site, my reading. And I was so impressed that I decided to do the training in London with Peter Mansfield and Margaret at the time. Uh, And I did that, and it was a two year um,
0: training. So that's with um, Margaret Montgomery. And that was with Peter, uh, Margaret, and there was Ajay as well. Mm -hmm. They were the, the, the,
1: the training faculty. And so that was really amazing and so from then i began to 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 teach here in france and explore and it comes back to movement because i began in dance i i i, I was I did ballet i was at ballet school um through my school years and i stopped ballet, I'd done yoga and other movement, but this was coming back to movement. It's like a circle. So uh, at the beginning, yes, I was very involved with it, and I was fascinated by what happens to vision, what does vision include, and realizing it's not just eyes, and that there's the brain, and then there's the mind, and then there's the body. And it was, it just became like a new world for me. Um, and then there's the emotional, because I, when I began to teach, I was taken aback by people's reactions to, to an exercise or to palming, to relaxation or to movement. And suddenly, you know, expressing an emotion or bursting into tears or... Mm-hmm. And I was, although I, we had spoken about it in the training, but it wasn't um, a direct experience. And I suddenly realized the impact on, um, on emotions and previous experiences um, that vision has, because vision is very profound when we talk not only about eyesight, but we talk about vision. Mm-hmm which encompasses the whole system and not just the ocular measurements and glasses. And that's why I felt I needed more training. And I went in exploring somatic experiencing and I trained um, in that technique. It's a psycho, uh, a body oriented psychotherapy and I found so many links in that uh, approach to vision, because we're talking about trauma in somatic experiencing and uh, post, um, stress, post-traumatic stress. And there's always orientation that's affected when you work with trauma, there's orientation. So what's orientation? Well, it's mostly vision. It's also auditory, but it's mostly vision and so those links plus the effect of the autonomous nervous system that we is somatic experiencing is based on particularly from a polyvagal theory perspective that just made absolute sense to what was going on with vision for me that's you know how i saw it and so having worked ever since with somatic experiencing, I'm now a supervisor in somatic experiencing. I just continually notice how vision is affected by trauma. And now how aspects of the Bates method can help in trauma recovery. So, you know, it's it's super interesting.
0: Oh, there's so many beautiful threads in there. I don't even know which one to pick up. I just like well the 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 resonance with the that I have personally with um, with movement uh, in a sense of also a kind of broader movement. When you said dance, and and I I, I didn't know that you you had a dance background as well, and. Um, Because I've I've only recently discovered dance. I mean, I always enjoyed like clubbing, (laughs) dancing, but I'd never had like dance classes, Um, and so. uh, But recently, I've um, come in through the world of contact improvisation into (laughs) kind of uh, somatic based dance practices, um, which always 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 helped my vision my eyesight is always so much better after a class than it was at the beginning and that just is continual Mm. Um, and so that that and i I sometimes when i'm at a dance class i think this is the bates method but better it's Mm. like it's like because it's got this kind of intrinsic creative edge that 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 sometimes in the bates method we talk about memory and imagination but it's often quite um I don't know, dry is too harsh, but if you take it sort of deeply into a creative setting, it's just implicit mm. and 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 so magical mm. um that the, the kind of clearing that can come there without having to do any exercises. Mm. Um, mm. because uh, well as we both know that's not what Batesmith does.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. Um and 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 so and and then also just hearing what you're saying about um The, well the trauma aspect of it and the, the emotional that the, the emotions come up and and again I've, I've been teaching now for a number of years and it just keeps happening you know people people just cry <laughs> you know or, or or things change in their life or mm-hmm. um and and in that sense it's it's like it's it when people's eyesight genuinely starts changing the eyesight almost falls away in relevance because there's like bigger things in their life that come to the front and mm. that's what needs exploring and and then that's what people are discussing and then you you start asking about how their eyesight is and they're kind of like oh yeah it's fine <laughs> and when that's what they came for mm. um mm. so um so I was wondering if yeah, what well, if, if there's a thread in all of that that you'd particularly like to talk about or, well, or it, take it, this it, forward.
1: Yeah, it, it brings, uh, we're coming back to what we began with, with the word movement. Um, because emotion is motion and uh, is movement. And what's interesting as we know in the Bates method, the eyes only see through movement. So when they have immobilized eyes in the laboratory, I don't know how they do that, must be ghastly, but when they have done that, there is no more image on the retina. So movement is fundamental to um, maintaining retinal sensitivity and to seeing we only see through movement Uh, so when we for whatever reason we stare or we have a fixed gaze we will see less and less so why do we have a fixed gaze so it can be it's usually functional particularly with our sedentary Uh, lifestyle nowadays with screens so there's that aspect Um, you know we we, we're not out in the fields we're not outside we're not moving and running and farming and we're doing whatever we need to we're we're sitting in chairs we're looking at screens or reading books you know it's it's much more um yeah we're much more fixed in distances and so that is affecting eyesight you know the functional eyesight all over the world however there's also other reasons for the fixed gaze which is linked to the autonomous nervous system which is stress negative emotions fear Uh, then we can go in you know to the trauma level if we want but we don't even have to go that far
0: you you know when you when you first said fixed gaze there the thing that that came to mind for me is almost like this fixed gaze of of the the kind of media narrative that we mostly live in and so it's like this idea of that there's only one news story at a time mm-hmm. and that you sort of stick to it. So it almost feels like the last few years it's gone well in, in the UK, at least it's sort of gone Brexit, COVID, war in Ukraine as the one story. And obviously all the other stories are happening and there's Syria and there's, you know, things happening all around the world that 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 are there, but are not are not brought to the front and and for me these these concepts these these concepts of vision and seeing and how we process things and how we process things in a healthy way or how we process things that are linked with fear and trauma and and that make us stuck it's like those ideas um are really helpful in 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 just kind of sensing what's going on, but also um yeah, noticing when, when things are missed out and when things are being held onto too long. Not that they're not important and not that they're not relevant, but it's like they're not the whole picture. And it, it sort of brings, I feel like what you're saying brings us also into this really, for me, key concept of centre and, and periphery. Absolutely, that's what I was going to,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly you're quite you know i absolutely agree with you it's absolutely fundamental that we for me society in a society level we are in tunnel vision and there is less and less peripheral vision so the as uh, the example of the media we tunnel into Brexit, We tunnel into COVID, we tunnel into Ukraine, and we have lost all peripheral vision of all the other things that are going on. Exactly. I quite agree with you. It's, it's, and it's fascinating, this relationship between central and peripheral vision, which is something that I'm passionate about. I see it in character structures, those who are more in tunnel vision, those who are only in peripheral. And how that in, you know, uh, impacts on behavior and way the way we function and our habits and visual habits as well. But it's also enormous, this relationship between center and peripheral it's not just vision it's society it's connection when in my workshops we explore peripheral their central peripheral vision i would say that the the experience that is that comes out of that is people will be saying oh, I feel really connected. Once they've found their peripheral vision in relation to the central vision, to the interest, they'll say, I feel connected with my environment. I feel connected to others. And this, for me, is peripheral vision.
0: I I like to use the word context. It's details and context. And details have absolutely no meaning without the context and the context, which is uh, on a physical level um, embodied by the peripheral vision yeah. and peripheral nervous system and peripheral yeah. body sensations. And um, that's where the meaning is. And I feel like that the meaning is meaning is what makes our lives meaningful. Like it's what and it's what it drives that inner connection. And I think you're saying, you know, people. It, it, and and that's where it kind of it, it starts becoming into that spiritual realm where you're like sense of purpose people find out who they are what their sense of purpose is where they mm-hmm. want to be going and it and where you want to be going in a sense of a very clear orientation and space like I I had a I had a, a client once who said that she I after coming for lessons and after spending time without her glasses or in reduced prescription glasses, she, was, she came out of a, uh, an underground station to go to her home. And she says that every time before she came to lessons, she came out of the underground and she had to think through like a map in her head, which way to go to get mm-hmm. home she had to think it through and go all right I have to go this way and she said that after lessons it was completely obvious she lived that way like how had she ever had to think about it Mm -hmm. and it was like she was rooted in her world suddenly where where the space around her was hers to negotiate not something that she had to overlay thoughts on Mm -hmm. and it's almost like with know with google maps to get anywhere or like that we have this overlay where Mm. where our world isn't our own anymore but there's something about doing this work and and rooting in our own true natural vision that embeds people not just in their own vision but gives access to the world around them in in such a tangible way that it's it's that they're embedded in it rather than looking down upon it and all these yeah and i just find that such a rich conceptual shift that's, mm. that people find really profound mm. um it's really um yeah it's what makes it worthwhile mm.
1: yes I, I, you know it's um i've i'm trying to write about it at the moment this relationship because it goes so it's so philosophical and it goes so far beyond um just the visual function uh this central and peripheral or detail and context as you say or figure ground you know i mean Mm -hmm, the different um ways of expressing it but it's it is it's it's being um it's for me developing this context or this spatial awareness or peripheral vision is like developing a sixth sense and this sixth sense enables us to sense our environment without knowing it we can sense what's behind us we can sense um, you know somebody to my right or to my left or behind me i'm waking up my inner radar and And within a society, we're then more connected to others. We can sense what's the others experiencing. We're more, yeah, we're linked to their experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I, my personal philosophy is that we're living in a society that's more and more tunnel vision and we're losing this peripheral because of everything we do is meant to close us in and we're losing the space and therefore losing connection and people are feeling more isolated and then of course you know all the covid business didn't help with that um of losing you know support connection and and anyway for me there, there's a whole reflection on 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 that but coming back to vision um and seeing and experiencing um and being present i would say also there's something about being present in one behind the eyes how many times in a day we're just not there the eyes are open but we're elsewhere yeah and I often say to my students, what we're doing in the base method is reconnecting, bringing back electrical colorant or reconnecting the mind, the eyes and the exterior. Mm -hmm. So there's flow, we're not with the eyes open and the mind doing something else, dissociated. I call it a form of dissociation Mm -hmm. when we're not present to what we're receiving as visual information. We could say the same thing for auditory
0: mm-hmm.
1: of any sensorial information. But we're not ready to receive. We're not there to receive it. Yeah. Well, we're missing out on a lot of information.
0: Yeah, the word the word presence there really um, came through. And also the, the sense of connection. Like, often people have that experience, like when they get clear flashes, when they have like moments of intense vision, which is a lot, a lot more clear, but also has more depth and more color than, than, than their kind of day-to-day vision. And often these experiences are in nature and yeah. so people talk about these the moments after a like after a lovely walk in the countryside or if they 're you know on a mountain or in a forest and they they suddenly feel this kind of exaltation um which if they 're open to their sort of visual awareness and um, uh, and as as vision teachers, this is the experiences we hear where it 's the 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 visual aspects of that becomes really intense like the the clarity of it and um, and then the in the kind of uh, time of ecological crisis that we're in those those moments uh, you, you talk about connection in relation to other human beings but I think there's also scope for this <laughs> in in terms of connection um with with kind of all forms of life on the planet and and that that, that that in a sense that like waking up, I suppose for me in terms of this, the, 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 the eyesight work, like working on your eyesight has has implications on all these levels. Yeah. Um, mm. I think that's, that's
1: interesting, um, effectively what you said is that it is, it's connect, being connected to the whole environment, so not, uh, you know, uh, uh, connected to where we are about the example you gave about nature is fundamental. I think why do people have clear flashes in nature? I think there's the fact that there are different distances and the eyes are mobile, much more mobile in nature, because there's something about vegetation and, and the natural world that brings us much more peace. And relaxation and um, being at one with the environment i think there's more of a sense of that than perhaps in an urban environment and it's a resource for many people nature you know plants trees countryside is a, a, a real resource and that resource is going to have a physiological effect throughout the body including the eyes and including vision and it seems that in a natural environment the pieces that we're trying to teach just come into place you know there's movement there's interest there's curiosity there's central and peripheral and there's relaxation
0: I, I yeah, it's making me think of uh, uh, one of the quotes from Bates um, where he is, like people ask me what my method is called and it's embarrassing because I don't it, it's just the natural way the eye sees <laughs> that's all I'm doing and exactly. it's like so if you put if you're into that more natural environment is there's just more scope for that just to be and to uh, be allowed to be exactly
1: exactly exactly and that that's what it That that's what it's really all about, isn't it? It's just coming back to the natural way of functioning, which is full bodied and of which the eyes are part. It's not separating the eyes from the rest of the body. It's uh, um, being aware that the eyes are part uh, the peripheral of eyes is the body, you know, that they're, they're, they're part of it connected. And that brings actually um, a link for me to eyes and posture um, in movement. Um, and, you know, in the Bates method, we say that the gaze, um, is accompanied by the head. I attended a, a workshop on the link between, it was a dissection actually, it was an anatomy course um, on the link between the eyes and the occipital muscles and the neck. And it was my first dissection. I, had, I was online and it was fascinating absolutely fascinating i thought that i was going to faint but i didn't and it was like an archaeolo- archaeologist the person who's so respectful and so beautiful and so wonderfully portrayed with questioning and information and this is the ocular motor muscle and this is the trigeminal and this is this and this is that and it's just you know you just look at it and think isn't the body just wonderful um but my interest was to see this connection. So, you know, the, 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 we're always going on about moving the head and not just the eyes, but you know, how and why? Well, because when the neck is free, the eyes are freer. But in anatomy, we learn through fascia that in fact it's all the way down to the feet. So, how the feet are poised has an effect on vision through the the fascia trains chains. So um, the reason why perhaps that's a point of interest for me is because I'm working on my feet, (laughs) on my own personal, you know, the difficulties I may have with my feet. And so working with feet is grounding, but it has a full effect right up to the neck and therefore the eyes. And so once there's this connection, one is aware that vision is connected to the feet. And in French, there's a wonderful expression that doesn't exist in any other language, as far as I know, I don't speak hundreds. But we say bon pied, bon oeil. And bon pied, bon oeil is an expression of everything's functioning well. Because there's connection. So in the Bates world in France, we use this expression too. Like
0: good, good feet, good eyes. Good feet, good eyes. Yeah.
1: And it's fundamental. So what I've been developing is a balance. Because some people with the vestibular movements of the Bates method have, you know, difficulty with balance. I use balance boards, I use the tuning board, I use the sisal cushions, so that the body learns to organize on instability. So we're using feet, we're using all the muscle chains throughout the body and we're using gaze. And slowly as the body begins to organize like, you know, I give the image of a seaweed, the roots in the ocean bed, but the leaves floating with the currents of the sea. When you come down from instability to stability onto the floor, there's a sense of grounding that is extraordinary, a sense of verticality and alignment. And within that, the gaze can then just sit feeling safe on the feet.
0: Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. <laughs> like the, the, you're just reminding me of times when I have I, um, had a, I had a wobble board. I, I didn't use it enough, I had to give it away. It wasn't justifying its place in the corner of the room. Mm-hmm. But um, But the times when I have used it and just when you say that sense of grounding coming off it, it's yeah it's just instant and and so tangible and yet it kind of can only really be experienced you can't really explain what that is or give somebody that experience through words it's just well like dance like vision everybody has their own own version of it yeah and I was just thinking when you were saying about your feet how uh, and and that everybody has this connection with feet and eyes or whatever it is but also it doesn't matter what you pay attention to if it's the thing that you need to pay attention to for yourself it will help your vision
1: absolutely
0: yeah because that's your vision it's it's mm-hmm. it's you and and there's something about knowing yeah just paying attention in itself will improve vision and and then the 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 move the sense of movement that sense of aligning and that movement not that doesn't have to be dance doesn't have to be ballet or a contact improvisation class or anything like that it's because with 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 the movement that's needed provision it's subtle it's small it's internal it's movement of thought it's movement of emotion and that that having these Places to play with those subtleties on a physical level, like wobble boards, or just, you know, bending your knee a little bit, or you know, going up on your toes and going mm-hmm. back down, and it, it can be as simple as that, which just shows shows your physical self and everything else. Just maybe invitations to move in a way that is not habitual.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm and yeah how, yeah 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 it's um uh it can be simple walking actually learning how to really walk without carrying backpacks and handbags and shopping things and you know how how when we get into the flow of walking the body organizes itself in an alternate way and the feet just roll and and it's 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 super interesting and then the eyes are free to
0: and with walking is the optic flow also, mm-hmm. In that sense, um, uh, not just a sense, but when it, it's almost like a physical need mm-hmm. of having that sense of motion at either side. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's something which is so profoundly different with and without glasses yeah. on, um, and, and the, the difference in strength of glasses makes a huge difference as well. Yeah. So when I just say with or without glasses, that's, a, um, that's not just one thing, that's hundreds of things. Um, mm-hmm. But the way that I, I think my issue, <laughs> glasses can be very useful. They're mm-hmm. tools. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need them to get on with our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. it's like understanding what they do is that they, 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 they shift our relationship between center and periphery and they shift that in a sense that this nourishing sense of movement when we walk at the sides, um, is, is, is altered Mm -hmm. and, and, and that alters the energy in our body. It, 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 it changes our, our physical relationships within ourselves how our muscles work how our bones are structured you were talking about posture um, so it, it, it comes in it, it alters posture just by moving around mm. um, and and there's not really anything we can do about it it's such mm. a um the the, the 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 energy the kind of visual energy and light energy that enters us through our eyes, but um, it it becomes our way of being really, really quickly.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's almost an identity. Mm -hmm. And often I, when I explain to a new student, um, you know, this relationship of central and peripheral vision, and on the anatomy level, I have, you know, I show them I show them the where well, uh, the fovea, which is the central point that the only part of the retina sees sharply, and I show them the tip of a pencil or the tip of a toothpick. And I say, This is the, the, the size of the fovea. And so my <laughs> I say, well. Seeing sharply everywhere is an illusion. It doesn't exist. We only see sharply at one point at a time when the eyes land momentarily on a point. That'll be the only sharp point. And the reason we have the illusion that my whole hand or my whole landscape is sharp is because of the movement. Is because. The eyes have this extraordinary capacity of speed of mobility to be able to go from one speck of dust to another speck of dust to another speck of dust to another speck of dust, speck of dust and give us the illusion, oh, my hand is, yeah, I? I see my hand perfectly sharply. But what has, has it implied to be able to say that? And it's it's extraordinary to uh, I found that a lot of people, it's a kind of a relief that they don't have to force themselves to see everything sharply, but just allow the fact that if it's really the sharp point is so tiny that it's the movement and the fluidity and the velocity of the gaze that gives us this illusion that everything's sharp.
0: And I, I think people who enter onto a natural eyesight journey and are used to the kind of vision that you get with strong glasses, mm. Mm. it's a different kind of vision because you don't need as much movement Yeah. and there's something, and then when it's blurry, people panic and think I can't I'm never going to be able to see I had a clear flash last week but I'm never going to get one again because it's blurry now and that's how it's always going to be and there's this spiral of of kind of pessimism around it that and then and then they give up and then they get another clear flash and then it's like um but it's like getting that sense that it's blurry just now but you just activate that movement again and it and the, the, you get a little bit of clarity and learning that that is a it's a functional thing it's not it's not something that's either there or not there it's not something you're either given or not given it's something you do yeah. and and but you don't do it by doing you do it by being um uh, on, on a sort of subtler level and and
1: uh,
0: yeah just the 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 And and also that you know, and people, it's like the balancing thing, like like that sense of groundedness. It's only really something that can be experienced. Mm. It's really hard to transmit um, through books, through Zoom, through. (laughs) I mean, it's possible, but it's 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 and it takes practice, and it's a a kind of learned or relearned experience.
1: Yes, Uh, when you say practice, yes, it's repetition, isn't it? We. Um, As children, you know, as babies, we learn uh, movement develops through repetition throughout, you know, the the first year of development of a child until until the child ends up vertical. So it's it's this question of repetition, which is often difficult for adults to um, want to repeat, they kind of say, well, uh, it gets boring. So my take on that is I explain that, well, when a a, a baby is creeping and crawling and starts pulling itself up to be able to stand up and then falls and repeats that process, it's not saying I have to do my exercises today, nor are the parents saying, oh, now you must do your exercises. What, What is motivating the baby to pull itself up and fall and repeat that a thousand times. And this is how I also explain about not going into the exercise um, mental state is we repeat, but each repetition is a new experience because the first time we do something, that's one experience. The second time, it's already a different experience. By the 10th time, it's again a different experience. And by the 500th time, it's again a different experience because we've, had, we've done it 500 times before. And it's the same for a, a baby, but eventually it's fought, stood up, fallen, stood up, fallen, stood up, fallen. Why? Through curiosity of being, when I'm up there, I see further and more. And it's motivating. And it's interesting. And eventually the body has organized itself to be able to balance in a vertical position on the feet and the baby stands up. Mm -hmm. But it has required repetition to get there.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think, well, I see kind of two threads in that. One is the, the interest is so key that 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 doing things that repeating things if you're doing it from the point of view of oh I must get my exercises done is just (laughs) so counterproductive and awful Um, but there's something about as adults having a sense of ritual and practice Mm -hmm. which is really grounding and supportive Mm. and And that, yes, we need to do new things and we need to make it interesting and we need to have twists on it and only be doing what is truly motivating us. Mm. Um, um, But sometimes the hesitation to bring in a practice Mm. um, is something to be worked with. Mm. And, And it's a real balancing act between putting in some structure and allowing things to be freeform it feels like a kind of walking in that line again the between things or like center periphery or balancing mm-hmm. structure with with kind of dynamic creativity and mm-hmm. or, you know and sleep and wake and night and dark and mm-hmm. sorry night and dark the darkness with the light and mm-hmm. and so it's like palming and sunning and that 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 there's these kind of dichotomies that aren't really that can be seen as um in opposition but it's not it's a kind of yin yang dance that 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 creates the magic
1: it's the polarities that we need and that again is is as I was saying, is changing direction. When we sway, we change direction. Or if we do the long swing, we change direction. Or if we do the optic swing, we change direction. And it's always going from one to another. As you said, night, day, um, you know, uh, light, dark, uh, hot, cold. We live in these polarities and we need them. We need one, we need action and we need rest. We need you know, flexion and we need extension. We need near, we need far.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, grief, know, well, yeah, and I, I just think on the emotional level, like that grief and joy and how often, like there's something about a kind of murky gray in between that has, doesn't have those polarities, which is what um, mm-hmm. it, it lacks meaning
1: yeah and 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 that is what life is all about it's about this this um uh going from one to another because and this is again coming back to what i said at the very beginning if we're stuck in one or the other or in the middle that's when we're not flexible we're not supple we're not adaptable because we're staying in one place and it's this movement, this this being able to go from one to the other, to be able to go from hot to cold, to it to you know to um, sleep and awake, to night and day, to color and black and white. You know, it's and this is why the whole vestibular system is is based on you know adapting in movement forward, back, right, left, up and down, and. And I was just the other day, I was discussing that with a student on how interesting the vestibular movements in the Bates metal are. And more, more and more important as we get older, even more important, so that we maintain this adaptability and suppleness, both mentally, visually and physically, bodily, and we don't get stuck. We don't get stuck in one, either one or the other, or in the middle. We can flow. And so we get flow, vestibular flow, visual flow, liquid flow, liquids of the body flow, you know, and mind flow, particularly. How that we can maintain that curiosity and interest that we had as as, as babies and children of exploring the world, and how we can maintain that as we get older and not lose it. Because, as you r- rightly said, you know, what is it that, if we go back to you know, Bates' method principles, what is it that initiates central vision, foveal vision? It's interest it's the it's the brain that orients the gaze if there's no brain there's no gaze we can have the most perfect eyes in the world but if there's no brain behind it we don't see so we need to have this i come back to this reassociating the mind and the eyes and the gaze but it's the brain that orients and directs the gaze first through survival and orientation to keep safe, and then through curiosity and interest. So it is, as you said before, it's fundamental, fundamental. Um, What I'm finding interesting is, um, you know, in the training school, the teacher training school, um, we're getting more people who are opticians, it's interesting and mm, um got some you know movement people like feldenkrais teachers brilliant, brilliant. and alexander teachers because i i teach in an alexander school uh-huh, training uh-huh. school in 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 paris um to bring the eye yeah. the gaze in um but and there are more and more alexander teachers who have trained in the bates method which is interesting yeah um so i'm finding that the bates method is is kind of um becoming of interest to body workers yeah and that's and that's really interesting you know to body movement workers i will say Mm -hmm. Um, and that's super that's really that's really nice
0: great well well Nina, it's been really lovely chatting with you today. Thank you so much for... uh, Thank you. Thank you for
1: for chatting with me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. To find out more about Nina, the link to her website is in the episode notes. I'm Anna Bambridge, and you can find more podcasts, articles, and information at embodied.vision. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. Goodbye.